have been preaching and doing some uh, conferences and uh, some group work over there, and so continue to pray for them while they're wrapping up the ministry that they're doing over there. God would bless, and uh, as they begin to wrap all that up, they'll begin to make our way, the, their way back over here, and I had the chance to check in with him a couple of times throughout the week, just kind of get some updates on how things are going, and he said, please pass on to the church that I am fired up. I'm ready to get back to the States and ready to pick up in the series traction that we're going through, and so let the church know that I love and I'm praying for him and excited to get back at it next week, and so let me encourage you to stay faithful and be a part of the series as we continue to go throughout. And uh, just as a side note, uh, did you know that October is Pastor Appreciation Month? And uh, so as he's coming back and making his way back out here, uh, maybe uh, send him an email, drop him a note, shoot him a text or whatever, just say, hey, Pastor, we're praying for you that uh, your ministry goes well over there, praying for a safe trip back and that, that you appreciate them. And, and I'll say this, that an encouraged pastor could probably do more work in ministry for the Lord than a discouraged pastor. And so as you uh, have a, a pastor in your life and you're thankful for him, communicate that to him. And I know that would mean a lot. And that would mean a lot to those guys as they're coming back. And so that is, uh, that's, coming, uh, that's what's taking place. But right here today, we're continuing in our series Traction. And last week we talked about how to get traction in the middle of a season of doubts. And sometimes when you're in the fog of doubt, how is it that you can try to get traction? A really, really helpful message. Very, very helpful. Uh, if you haven't heard it, jump online, go to the website, and uh, replay that one from last week. But sometimes it's those doubts that come in our life that can often serve as some of the handles we can use to take our faith to greater places than it's ever been before. And so we talked about uh, doubts. This week, we want to talk about how we can get traction when we start something new and we try to get off to a good start. And I think that's something that we can all relate to because I don't know about you, but you, have you ever started something and maybe you didn't quite get off to the good start that you were hoping for? I remember uh, the first time I went to Disneyland with my wife. This was about 12 years ago. We go to Disneyland and uh, we had a good time. One of the stops that we made throughout the day is we went to the Animation Academy. And uh, if you've ever been to the Animation Academy, they take you there and they give you a, a sketcher's pen and some paper and they, they teach you and they take you step by step all the way through to draw some of their characters. And uh, even if you're like me and you're not good at art or creativity at all, they can go and they can help you and at the end you get a product and it's a lot of fun. And we got a picture of what we did that day and it was a lot of fun. But what this picture doesn't tell you is what happened earlier that day. You see, earlier that day when we got to Disneyland, one of the things that I had wanted to do, and I wanted to check this off the list, is uh, to get on the ride, the Tower of Terror. Uh, you guys know what that is, Tower of Terror? You've been on that? Okay. It's a thrill ride, and uh, my wife had told me, she says, you know, thrill rides aren't my favorite, but if you want to go on Tower of Terror, I want to spend the day with you, and I want to go, and we'll enjoy this time together. And I said, all right. And so we go over to Tower of Terror, and we get a line, and we wait, and we make our way all the way through the line, about 45-minute wait. And we get over to the part where you're actually going to board onto the Tower of Terror. And uh, we're getting ready to board on, and I go to step over, and my wife, she turns to me, and she says, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I thought I'd be able to do it. She goes, I just, I can't. I'm so sorry. And I'm like in this moment of like decision, and the Disney cast member there, she's like, okay, sir, step this way, ma'am, if you're going to wait right over here. All right, folks, let's go. And I was like, all right, I, I, all right, here we go. And so I got on the ride. It was fun, but you know, you go to the park, you want to ride the rides with the people that you came with. And so uh, it was fun. And, and so I, I get off the ride, and I start, I make my way out the exit, and my wife is waiting there for me on the exit. She kind of has this embarrassed look on her face, and she's like, I'm sorry, that was so silly. She goes, I've been standing here, I've been seeing like little kids get off the ride, and I see how it works and, and everything, and then she's like, you know what, I'll be able to do this, you know, can I, can I make it up to you, can we try this one more time, can we go? And I said, sure, all right, it was kind of fun, and she wants to do it, I said, all right, let's go. So we get in line, we go, we wait another 45 minutes, we go all the way through, we get to the part where we're going to board again, and she goes, 
I don't know what I was thinking. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm so sorry. I can't. And uh, the cast member there says, all right, sir, how this way, man, if you wait right over here. All right, everybody, let's go. And I get out, and she's like, bye. And I said, oh, my goodness. So I got on, and I ride the ride all the way by myself again. It was later, actually later on that day where we tried a third time. The third time was a charm, and she got on it and had a fun time. <laughs> but it didn't exactly get off to the right start that we were hoping for. Have you ever started something, and you didn't exactly go the way you'd wanted it? Maybe you started that diet or exercise plan, and it didn't exactly come to fruition. Or maybe you had that debt that you were so sick and tired of, and you wanted to knock it out. And something happened, and now the debt is still there. Or maybe you wanted to take that course or read that book, and you're all fired up about it, and, well, you never took the course, and the book is still sitting on your shelf. You know, those are all voluntary circumstances, circumstances of our own doing choices that we've made on our own, voluntary circumstances. But sometimes we can find ourselves, as painful as it may be, in a situation where we need a new start because of involuntary circumstances. Decisions that maybe we didn't make ourselves, but others made, and as a result of the consequences of their decisions, now we have to find ourselves starting to think thoughts of, okay, how am I going to hit the reset button? How am I going to start over? How am I going to get a fresh start? And in Joshua chapter 1, we kind of find ourselves in a similar situation here in the passage. But just as I showed you that picture a minute ago, it had a backstory. Joshua chapter 1 has a backstory that I just want to give you some background. You see, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And they began to cry out for deliverance. And they began to cry out and say, God, please deliver us. And so God raises up Moses in their midst, one of their own. He was raised in Pharaoh's palace. And Moses begins to lead the people to be freed from Pharaoh's bondage. And through a series of unique circumstances and the ten plagues that he called down, the powers that be in Egypt determined that it was going to be more trouble for Egypt to keep the children of Israel than if they were to just let them go. And so Moses leads the children of Israel, and they escape out of Egypt, and they cross over the Red Sea. And you would think they would be incredibly grateful for this, but they weren't. In fact, they were the exact opposite. At this time in their lives, the children of Israel, they became incredibly ungrateful. They were complaining pretty adamantly that they didn't have enough food to eat, they didn't have enough dr to drink, and they even began to wonder, maybe it would have actually just been better for us if we would have been slaves back in Egypt. They begin to complain against God and against Moses. Their next stop after this is they go down to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is down where Moses receives the Ten Commandments. He has the mountaintop experience with God. God pours into him, and now the children of Israel, they receive the law, the Ten Commandments, and, and they come down. After this, they go and they begin to make their way up north. And they begin to make their way up north, but they make their way just to the east of the Jordan River. And why is it that they're on the east of the Jordan River? Because on the west side of the Jordan River is the land of Canaan, or the Promised Land. And the, the promised land was an area of land that was about 250 miles long, about 60 miles wide. And this was the land that God had made available for the children of Israel. This was their promised land. And so Moses, now getting ready to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, he decides that uh, he's going to go scope out the land, get a lay of the land, and find out what the people were like over there. And so he decides to send 12 spies into the land. If you've grown up in church and you remember the song from Sunday school, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. All right, Joshua and Caleb came back with a positive report saying the promised land, this isn't a matter of, 
of how this is going to be done. We know God's promised us the land. We're just coming back to report how great the land is. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land of great opportunities and great possibility. This is the promised land. But 10 of the spies came back with a negative report. And 10 of the spies came back and they talked about how the people are so big over there that we are like grasshoppers compared to them. And this, is, this can't be done. It's impossible. And a lot of times we can't we don't possess the areas that God would have us to go possess because we're intimidated by the inhabitants of the land. And this is exactly what happened to these people. So they, they're thinking about trying to go over there, and they come back with this negative report. And what do you know about a negative spirit and a negative attitude is that it's contagious. And if I could just stop right here for a second, that if a negative attitude or a negative spirit is something that you're prone to, and maybe sometimes we think, well, we just have the gift of criticism, be very careful about that. Because a negative attitude and a negative spirit can begin to spread like wildfire. And the promises and the promised land that God has available for people may be negatively impacted by the consequences of a negative attitude. And so here's this negative attitude and begins to go spread throughout the camp. And the children of Israel begin to align with the opinion of ten men rather than their leader and the promises of God. And so here they are in this position, and they begin to align with this the report, this negative report, and they align with the opinions of men rather than the promises of God. And so what happens? God's very displeased with their lack of faith. And so the punishment for the children of Israel is that they're not able to go enter into the promised land. God says, as a result of your lack of faith and your disobedience, the sentence, the punishment for you is now you're going to go wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And you will not be able to enter into the promised land at this time. This 40-year time period where they're out wandering in the wilderness is just about to come to an end. And that's where we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 is where we're at. And the Bible says in verse 1, Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, now, for a little bit of Bible trivia here, Joshua is uh, the only person in the Bible not to have any parents because the Bible says he was the son of none. <laughs> all right. That joke kills every time, right? You got to say it. You just, you know, you got to play the hits, all right? All right. Moses' minister saying, now, uh, verse 2, what is God going to say unto Joshua? He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Okay, this was more than just daily news. Okay, Joshua didn't go out and get the children of Israel chronicle in the newspaper in the morning with a cup of coffee and look and say, wow, this is interesting. No, this was more than just daily news. In fact, this was more than just historical fact. This was the end of an era that was happening now. And now Joshua is in this time of obviously uh, grieving and this time of sorrow and sadness. And God tells him, now therefore, arise. Because God has a new calling, a new plan, a new mission for his life. It is possible that there may be some people here today where there's been a letdown or a trial or a betrayal or something that has impacted you in the past. And God could be telling you this morning, hey, you know what? I know what you've gone through. I know that event that you've gone through that has so scarred you that it's probably even impacted who you are today in your life. But by God's grace and his power, he says it's time to lay that down and put it in your past so that you can go forward to the new mission and the new calling that he has on your life. And by his grace and by God's spirit, Christ has set you free from your past so that you can go on and pursue what God has for you and the future that's made available for you. And so here Joshua is in this moment where he says, he's, he's, uh, uh, this event has happened, and now God tells him, look, 
I want you to arise. Verse 2, we pick it up in the middle. Go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, under the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. This is reminding him of the promise that he gave Moses. It extends to Joshua. From the wilderness in the Lebanon, even unto this great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. All right, there's a lot of information there, but basically what God's doing is he's giving some geographical landmarks and some boundaries that they would have been aware of at the time. In our, uh, the way we would have seen things is it's as if God would have said, hey, look, from Highway 78 to Highway 76 down to the Pacific Ocean, this is the promised land that I give to you. And we in our minds would be like, okay, got it. I know what you're talking about. Here's the area where you're making available to us. Verse 5, there shall not be any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. He's given him comfort, words of uh, comfort right there. Verse 6, be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto the fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And our key verse for our study today this book of the law, verse 8, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It's been said that there are two roads in life, the road to awesome or the road to average. And the title for today's message is simply just a successful start. How do we get a successful start? In this passage, the children of Israel are on the verge of beginning to try to enter into the promised land. They're on the verge of entering into Canaan. And it could be here that some of us today, there's an area in our life that God says, there's an area of your life, an area of your heart that I want you to go possess that land. I want you to go possess that area because for far too long, you've been wandering in the land of being too comfortable, in the land of being complacent. And so now I've got a new calling for you. I've got a new, a new mission for your life. I want you to go possess the area of your heart or the area of your life where you can take your prayer life to greater heights than it's been before. I want you to go possess that area of your life where you begin to be more bold in your witness for Christ, where you share Christ in a way that you've never shared him before. I want you to, that area of your heart where you, you're, you're giving and you're serving and your generosity is going to greater levels than it can ever gone before. It's time to go enter into that promised land I have available for you because the promised land is where the blessings are and the promised land is a promise that God has made available for us. And this time, the, the children of Israel were getting ready to start something. They're getting ready to pursue this mission they're calling in their life. And it could be that here today, there's something that God's been speaking about to us that we need to get ready to pursue that calling. And God knew there would be times in our lives where we would need it, that fresh start, that we would need to begin and have that successful start. And in Joshua chapter 1, he sets out a formula, a pattern for us to follow so that we could have a successful start when it comes to these times in our life. And the successful start is basically, with the remaining time I have, I just want to share with you three steps to a successful start. I'll give them right now if you want to fill them in your notes, and then we'll talk through each one along the way, and we'll be through. But the first step is that a successful start begins with elevation. A successful start begins with elevation. Number two, a successful start continues with meditation. 
a successful start continues with meditation. And then number three, a successful start is sustained with application. It's sustained with application. All right, number one, a successful start begins with elevation. A successful start begins with elevation. Well, uh, there's, there's all kinds of things to, to picture here, but go to verse two. Verse two says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise. If you like to underline or highlight words in your Bible, that phrase right there where it says, now, therefore, arise, that's a good one to keep in mind because this was a time in life where Joshua was grieving. He was uh, a time of sorrow, and yet God says, hey, I have something ahead of you that I want you to pursue. And there could be a time in our life where we'll lose something or someone. In this particular instance, Joshua lost someone, and you may have lost someone. And there may be a loss that you're grieving. And there is a time for grieving, the Bible says, but the Bible also says that in the midst of that, don't forget about the mission I have for you and the calling that I have on your life. We may not just lose someone, but we could also lose something. We could lose a relationship. We could lose our health, our finances. We could lose our security. There's all kinds of different things in our life that we could lose to begin to set us back and set us down. And God says, yes, there is a time for grieving, but... There is also a time to say, hey, now therefore, arise. There's a work to do. Paul said, I press toward the mark. And now there's coming a time where we need to arise. Um, Not only should we be um, uh, getting ready to arise when there uh, comes a point in time where we need to take that step forward for elevation, but in a practical sense, one of the reasons why God was able to choose Joshua is because Joshua was a prepared person. And we'll discover all throughout scripture that elevation is always preceded by preparation. And there's always a prepared place for a prepared person. You see, Joshua, all throughout scripture and and throughout this time, had been already developing himself to take the position of leadership. We see in uh, Exodus 33, we see that Joshua was teachable. In Numbers 11.28, we see that Joshua was loyal. In Numbers 14.6-10, we see that Joshua was dependable. And there's always a prepared place for a prepared person. And if you find yourself in the season of a preparation right now, if you find yourself in the season of of, uh, God doing a preparation work through you, embrace that season. Don't look and try to see, how, how can I just get through this? I want the promotion to come. I want the elevation to come. And God says, don't despise this time. Don't despise this season because it could be that the process of preparation that he's doing in you right now is setting the platform for you to be able to stand on one day when that time of elevation does come. When I was a kid, I loved to play video games. It was great. You go to Blockbuster, you pay a couple bucks, you play it all week, and you return it back. It was a great season of life, a great time of life. Uh, whether it was Mike Tyson Punch-Out or Super Mario Brothers or whatever it is, my friends and I, we loved it. And we discovered that there were certain games where you could go and enter a cheat code. How many know what I'm talking about? You can go enter the cheat code, and what it does is it allows you to bypass certain levels so that you can go and beat the game faster. But did you know that when it comes to serving God and God doing that preparation process in you, there are no cheat codes. You have to go through every process. And every process along the way, every level along the way, God is teaching us things that he's going to use in our lives that we can take on with us as we go. You see, Noah started building the ark before it even started raining. David had been practicing with the sling before he even met Goliath. Daniel had developed the discipline of prayer in his life before he was thrown into the lion's den. And Joshua was developing leadership qualities and leadership traits within himself 
before that task of being the leader of the children of Israel was even given to him. Don't despise the time of preparation. There's always a prepared place for a prepared person. If that time in life hasn't come yet, keep working, keep doing that preparation process because the work can come and the elevation can come. So we see that a successful start begins with elevation. But the second thought here is that a successful start continues with meditation. A successful start continues with meditation. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate. If you like to underline or highlight words, you can circle or highlight that phrase or that word meditate. Thou shalt meditate. And the word meditate simply just means to, to muse or to mutter, to have that continually be going through you over and over again. And uh, uh, the, the co- meditation requires contemplation where we're constantly reviewing and thinking and going over in our mind over and over again. We're all good about contemplating and we're all good about meditating about something. Maybe it's how many likes or followers we have. Uh, We're good about meditating about our bank accounts and our portfolios. We're good about meditating and and thinking on that TV show that maybe we're in the middle of binge watching. Uh, We're good about meditating and contemplating and just dwelling on the latest and greatest developments on cable news. I mean, these are the things that we can find ourselves contemplating on sometimes, but the question is, are we contemplating and are we meditating on God's word? That is what God's interested in, is are we chewing on that? Are we thinking on that? Are we studying God's word? And when it comes to contemplation, there's just three words I want to give you when it comes to this idea of meditating. When it comes to meditating, the first word I want to give you is the word resource. We need to consider the resource. This book of the law, when this was written to Joshua, was talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. Joshua was able to take possession of Canaan land because he had the first five books in the Old Testament. How much more are we able to conquer because we have the completed word of God in our hands, Genesis, all the way through Revelation? And what we hold in our hands today is the inspired, infallible, holy word of God. It's God-breathed and it's made available for us. This is God's gift to us. Consider the resource. What is it that we're contemplating? Not the opinions of men, not the sways of culture, but we're contemplating and we're meditating on the timeless truths of God's holy word. And that's an encouraging thought. So when we come to meditation, we ought to think about what is it that we're meditating, the resource, and that is God's word. The second word to consider, oh, well, let me just give you a verse on that. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So consider the resource. Secondly, consider retainment. Retainment. You know, we're getting ready to enter into the holiday season, and one of the reputations that the holiday season has is it comes with a lot of food, and with a lot of food comes a lot of eating, and when we come through after the new year, because a lot of the food and a lot of the eating, how many know that sometimes there's some retainment that takes place, okay? There's some retainment, and uh, what God says is, hey, when you feast on my word, and when when you chew on my word, I want there to be some retainment, I want there to some of that to, to stick with you, to stick on you, so that you can grow and develop into the person that God wants you to be. What does the Bible say? Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing in my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. 
So we consider the resource, we consider the retainment, but then also let me encourage you to consider reflection. Reflection. As uh, most of us today, we probably got ready in front of a mirror, and we stood in front of that mirror, and we reflected upon it. And we allowed that mirror to look, and, and where things were maybe out of place, we tried to get them in place. And we allowed that mirror to show inside of us what needed to be changed. And when we approach God's word, and we reflect upon God's word, and we reflect at the law of God's word, it will show areas in our lives that need to be changed. And as we think, and we contemplate, and we muse on God's word, we'll understand that there are some changes that need to be made in our life. We need to do what God has us to do. Uh, Psalm 119, 15 through 16 says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. If not daily, frequently, there will come times in our lives when we're going to have our will and our desires be confronted with God's word and God's way. And when those two are confronted, what decisions are we going to make? What ramifications of those decisions are going to take place? Because when those two confront, we have a decision to make. Are we going to reflect upon God's word? Are we going to retain what God's word says and make the right choices? Because when our life gets crooked and out of shape, we need alignment, and we go and we make sure that we get alignment according to God's word so that we can go down and get that successful start that God would have us to get. So a successful start begins with elevation. It continues with meditation. But thirdly, a successful start is sustained with application. A successful start is sustained with application. I read a story this week about a mom who she was cooking up a storm in the kitchen, and she was just going to town, getting this big meal ready for the company that was coming over, and uh, she realized that she was a can of soup short. And so she turned over to her son, and she said, could you go into the pantry and go get me a can of soup? They had one of those old-time pantries that was big. And he, she said, could you go into the pantry and go get me a can of soup? He's five years old. He looked up, and he said, Mom, I can't go in there. It's dark. It's scary. I'm all alone in there. And he pleaded with her, please don't. And she looked at him the way only a mother could. And she looked right at him, and she said, Son, Jesus will be in there with you. Now, please, go get me the can of soup. So begrudgingly, he begins to make his way over to the pantry. He goes and he opens his door. He sticks his arm in and he says, Jesus, if you're in there, can you hand me a can of soup? <laughs> you know what? We never have to be afraid of doing the right thing. It can be scary. It can be intimidating. But we never have to be afraid of what's doing what's right. We don't have to be intimidated by the process that's in front of us. Take a look at verse 8 as we go on. The Bible says, Thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Application. If you want to underline or highlight words in your Bible, this is a great couple words to write there. To do. This is where it comes down to. The, what, what's the root word of application? To apply. Are we going to apply what we know to be right? Are we going to apply God's word to our lives and do what it is that he'd have us to do? Application requires determination. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where it all comes down to. Are we going to do what God says? Application requires determination. You know, sometimes we can be guilty of treating the Bible like it's a menu at a restaurant. We'll go into a restaurant, maybe we want to order the sandwich. We order the sandwich, and when the server comes by, we'll say, you know what, um, I'll take the sandwich, but let's do a pickle instead of tomato, and uh, let's do sourdough instead of wheat. 
Why do we do those things? Because we want to make it more palatable for us. We want to make it more enjoyable for us. We know what we like, and we want to exclude the things that we don't like. And when we come to the Word of God, we cannot do that. We come to God's Word, we can't say, you know, when it comes to the fruits of the Spirit, I'll take love, joy, and peace, but hold the patience and self-control. We can't do that. Application requires determination to make sure that we are in accordance with God's Word. And you know what? Every single situation and every circumstances in our life are going to be a little bit different about maybe we can't take that step that God wants us to take. And all of us are going to have good, legitimate excuses and reasons why, you know what? This is what God wants and this is what God's word says. But you've got to understand, I have this going on in my life. And so as a result, I, I would if I could, but I got this going on. And as though there's maybe like an exception clause in here somewhere that has our name special carved out for us. But the truth is, is that application, it just requires determination. All of us, if we were to think about it, have legitimate reasons. Joshua had legitimate reasons why he couldn't do what God wanted him to do. Think about the reasons why maybe he couldn't have done that. He could have been afraid. Are the people going to accept me as the new leader? Am I going to be able to fill Moses' big shoes? Moses was my trainer, my mentor, my leader. He made a mistake that caused the children of Israel to wander in the wilderness. That was my trainer. What mistakes am I liable to make that I might just shut the whole thing down? He could be afraid of failure, getting it wrong. There are all kinds of things, and there can be all kinds of things in our lives when we stop and think and we say, you know what, hey, I, I would be doing that, but I've got this going on. I could be doing that. And when we begin to focus on the reasons why God can't do something in our life, we'll forfeit more potential than the devil will ever steal. When we focus on the reasons about why God can't do something, we'll forfeit more potential than the devil will ever steal in our life. The opposition you're up against may be big, it may be scary, it may be legitimate, and I get it, the circumstances may be, they may, they may not be ideal, and they may be incredibly painful, and what you're up against may be big, tall, and scary, and there may be giants in the land. But just as God encouraged Joshua, let me encourage you, be strong and of good courage. Because God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said that you're more than a conqueror. He said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Be strong and courageous, because as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And you can go and take possession of that land. Keep on pressing on. Keep fighting. Keep going after it. Don't give up. Don't give in. You know, it could be that the average person in your shoes may have already quit by now. They may have given up the fight. They may have dropped their pack. They may have thrown in the towel. But don't give up. Let me encourage you to keep pressing on because the size of your opponent just shows the size of your promise. The bigger the opponent, the bigger the promise that God has for you. Keep after it, stay after it, and you can see that a successful start is sustained with application. You know, probably my favorite restaurant in all the world is Chick-fil-A. I mean, it is so good. I just, it just makes me happy thinking about it. My favorite restaurant is Chick-fil-A, and every time I go there, I get the same thing. My go-to is a spicy deluxe meal with a Coke. It just can't be beat. You get one little side of the honey mustard, and it's just a great experience all the way around. Uh, Chick-fil-A is known across the country for a couple of things. They're known for good service, and they're known for good food. And as a result of that, they've seen, a remarkable, they've seen some remarkable success along the way. Um, I was doing some reading, and I found out that Chick-fil-A they actually, uh, they make more money per restaurant than any other fast food restaurant that's out there. 
per restaurant, they make more. And second place is not even close. Uh, they, have, they, they pay for their employees to go to college. They have spent $35 million in scholarships sending their employees to college. Last year, they were the seventh largest fast food chain. But because of recent growth and the surge of development that they have, next year they're projected to be number three. I mean, there's all kinds of great things that are happening. And guys, they do all of this only being open six days a week. They're closed on Sunday. It's interesting to see what God has done and that work that's been taking place in Chick-fil-A. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, was asked one time, what do you contribute your success to? What do you contribute all the success that you've seen? And he referenced his mother. And he said, my mother was a role model of hard work. She was the first one up, and she was the last one to go down. It was during the Depression era, and while my mother was busy raising seven kids of her own, one of which was special needs, she also ran a boarding house out of our home that she served up to seven to eight guests at a time. She was a very hard-working woman. Truett jokes, and he says, the only time I ever saw my mom with her eyes closed is when she laid in her casket. He said, but when I was little, the only time I ever saw her slow down was when she would go sit down and listen to the old-fashioned revival hour broadcast on the radio. She said during that time, he said she loved the scripture reading, she loved the music, she loved the preaching. That is what she enjoyed. And she took all of that and she poured it back into her children. And one could wonder, True, how is it that you're able to see all this success? How is it that you're able to see all these great things happen? He said, well, I have one reason for you. My mom, she helped us get off to a good start. She did that work of preparation in us that allowed to see us some elevation. She taught us the importance of meditating, the importance of the principles of God's word. And then she taught us how to apply it, just how to go do it. She told us, and she modeled for us how to do all those things. And when you get all that together, you get that formula going, that's a formula to get off to a successful start. That's a formula to get traction as you begin something new. I'll share this last thought before I close. Whatever happened to Joshua? Whatever happened to Joshua? Well, we talked about Joshua chapter 1, and if you go all the way to the end in Joshua 24, the last chapter in Joshua, it talks about how Joshua died. And then the Bible says this about him, that the children of Israel, that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. What an impact a successful start can make. Because as you start well, it can then project you on the right course so you can finish well. Let me encourage you today, think with the end in mind. Think about the consequences, the ramifications that can be made as you get off to a good start and the impact that can have on others. And let me encourage you to get some traction and a successful start. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you with hearts that are a clean canvas, hearts that are blank and ready to go. God, what is it, that area that you have new and ready for us? What fresh areas of our life do you want us to go and take possession of the land? What areas of life do you want us to go? God, what calling, what mission on our lives do you want us to go pursue for your honor and for your glory? God, lay that area on our hearts and on our minds so that we can go and take possession of the land for your honor and for your glory. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just a couple of contemplative questions for you to think about. How many of you would say, you know what, in one area or another, God laid a, an area, a, a calling, a pursuit 
something that where I need to maybe get a fresh start in my life. And just simply with a raised hand, I want to pray for you and say, you know what? God indicated an area of my life. With a raised hand, is there anyone like that here today? Say, God indicated an area of my life I want to get a fresh start in. Nearly every hand. How many of you say here today, you know what? You talk about getting a fresh start, but one area I need a fresh start with is my relationship with God. In fact, I don't know that I've ever had a fresh start with God. I don't know that a relationship with God has ever commenced. I don't know where I stand with God. And uh, quite frankly, uh, I'd like to get that taken care of today. And you say, you know what? We've got all kinds of uh, our prayer team and we've got counselors here that are available. They'd love to, to simply share with you a few verses. If you wouldn't mind, if someone shared with a few verses with you how you could know for sure that you have a home in heaven and have a relationship with God and you're interested in that, you say, you know what? Jonathan, I'm interested in having a relationship with Christ. I don't know that that's ever started in my life. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Say, I don't know that I have a relationship with Christ, but I'm interested in knowing one. I'm interested in having that relationship. Why don't we all stand together? As this song begins to play, contemplate, begin to meditate in your heart, review, reflect, and focus on what it is that God would have for you.